0: Welcome to Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, where we explore how studies here are changing our world today and in the future. I'm Robin Montague, a writer at the university. This time, we're on the search for a star man waiting in the sky, and quite frankly, whether we would actually like to meet him. Right now in America, NASA are investigating many years' worth of unexplained sightings, coming up with simple explanations in some cases, but puzzling over other evidence. And they've promised they'll share any findings they make. Chris Patterson is a research software engineer at the University of Portsmouth.
1: If aliens exist, they definitely prefer America, because if you look at a distribution of where alien sightings are reported, it's almost all in in the States.
0: In this episode, we'll discover where NASA has got to in its investigation and hear how some supposed evidence of alien life forms. ...can turn out to have hilarious Earth-based reasons. Plus, we'll take a look at the technology aiding the search for extraterrestrial life in the universe. We've gone out of the studio in this series to record in all kinds of interesting places. And this episode is no exception. Welcome to the Space Mission Incubator at the University of Portsmouth.
1: It's a really nice new room that we've just had installed here at the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation. And it's to help us help other people achieve space missions. For example, academics or industry might come to us and say, we have an idea for a small mission or an idea we want to send to space. But we don't have the expertise to do that. How can we send this mission up? And it's a small mission. It's not like a big billion dollar mission, but a satellite or a small probe to send up. And they can come here to this facility and sit with our team of experts. And we can help them plan out what that mission might look like, work out how feasible it is and what it might cost and how they might actually achieve what they want to achieve. And then we can help literally incubate that idea and turn it into something that really happens and really flies into space.
0: And in this episode, we're going to be talking UAPs rather than UFOs. What's that, you might ask?
1: What most people would probably call a UFO, NASA is now calling a UAP. And there's a couple of reasons behind that. The first is it's kind of a more general term than UFO. So UAP stands for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. And it's slightly more general than an unidentified flying object because it doesn't just include things that are flying, but it also includes things on land or in sea or in space. So it's just still things we don't know what they are and we have no good explanation for, but not necessarily only flying disks or flying sources or that sort of thing. But the second reason I think they're pushing that instead of UFO is just to get away from the sort of sensationalism that UFO brings. Like if you say a UFO, even though you might just mean, I don't know what that flying thing is, It really makes people think of ET and strange things like that. Whereas UAP, I think they're trying to just be like, there are things we don't know what they are. They might not be aliens, so just calm down.
0: UAP reports are on the rise at the moment. And as we make further strides in space ourselves, with some amazing pictures in recent times from the likes of the Mars Curiosity rover and the Voyager spacecraft, it's no wonder that visitors from other worlds are on our minds at the moment. The NASA Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Independent Study, Now, there's a mouthful, studied the 800 or so sightings that couldn't be easily explained away and reported back in September. Spoiler alert, they found no evidence that UAPs are extraterrestrial. But if you're an amateur, Mulder or Scully, the good news is that the truth may still be out there.
1: They found some interesting things. They have no evidence that any of these things are alien. They haven't denied it yet. They haven't said it's not aliens. They just said, we have no evidence that it is aliens. But really, they've taken reports from mostly fighter pilots or commercial pilots, or anyone really, but those are the most common ones, of things they've seen in the sky or on water that they can't explain. And and there are some reports of those. They've taken about 800 of those reports and really just tried to explain them if they can, or categorize them if they can't. And most of them have very simple terrestrial explanations that are, like, some are amusing, but some are it was a cloud or very low things on the horizon near water leads to very weird perspective when you're looking at it. So lots of them end up being explained by that or weather and that sort of thing. So most of them, they've explained away with that. And some of them, about 2 to 5% of these reports, they still have no explanation for, but that doesn't mean they're saying it's aliens. Often it's, we don't have good enough data to be able to explain what this is. Like if you take a very blurry photo or a very blurry short video and say, what is this? It's often really hard to just work out what that is without just guessing. And that's probably, I suspect, what that 2% is, is things that just don't have good enough data to explain yet.
0: But it's interesting to discover that it's professional pilots who are reporting more than their fair share of UAPs. Why would that be?
1: I don't know if there's some bias there of they're often, you know, travelling very fast and you're more likely to be tricked by perspective if you see that sort of thing. But also they're more likely to be recording when they see these strange things. Like if you saw something in your garden and you don't take a picture or a video of it and you report it there's not a whole lot we could do to work out what that was if you don't have something to show us, really, to be honest with you. Like we have your word, but maybe you don't remember it clearly or you're a bit confused or excited and you might not explain it that clearly. Whereas if there's video from a plane, you're more likely to be able to try and work out what it is. But also I think there is a bit of a stigma about reporting these things to the government. Whereas maybe fighter pilots are more likely to say on their radio, I just saw something really weird. We should check out what that is than maybe... You might be, if you see something in your garden, to report it to the government.
0: Let's introduce you to a former NASA astronaut, Scott Kelly. In a unique experiment, Scott spent a year on the International Space Station, whilst his twin brother spent a year on Earth. So his training and credibility when it comes to space travel is unquestionable. Although we don't know how jealous his twin brother was stuck back on Earth. But it was whilst flying a fighter jet that Scott spotted something something possibly out of this world. Chris picks up the story.
1: He flew past something with his co-pilot and said there was something really strange in the sky I don't know what that was let's go back and check what it was because this could be really interesting and when they went back for a second look they realized it was a Bart Simpson balloon that was just floating past them and that I think really exemplifies how the perspective and the horizon and how weird things move in the air can really trick even very seasoned professional pilots into thinking they've seen something that they didn't and then realizing oh it was just a a shiny balloon over water which looked really strange so i think that's one of my favorites but there was another one actually in australia where there was a specific instrument that kept seeing this really strange radio signal like it just kept appearing in their data and they were like what is this radio signal we have no clue we're not looking for anything with it but like that could look like this and there's nothing around us we don't think that it could be um And then when they started digging a little bit deeper, they realized, oh, it mostly appears sort of around lunchtime. And then they realized it's people heating up their lunch in the microwave. And when they open the microwave, some of those spill out and they look like radio waves in the signal. And they really were just picking up people heating their lunch in their detectors, which is (laughs) like kind of amusing and just shows you how if you don't know the source of something, it can really trick you into not like thinking it's really interesting. Uh, But really, it's just just microwaves.
0: So it's interesting that once the leaky microwaves and the Bart Simpson balloons of this world are discounted, a NASA report on hundreds of UAP sightings still can't find evidence of alien visits. What does that say?
1: There's a lot of ongoing work. This was just the initial report from the committee. It's continuing its work. And actually, they've just appointed a new director for UAP studies. So that's a brand new job role in NASA to lead this study and lead this committee and and really try and get to the bottom of it. But going forward, what they really want is more reports. So they're really trying to encourage people, if you see something strange, to not just tell someone, but to take a photo or to take a video and then send it in to NASA to really just report it more. They described it as they're looking for a needle in a haystack to try and find something interesting. But they don't know what the needle looks like yet. So you better have a lot of data to try and figure out what that needle looks like if you're going to ever pull it out of the haystack. That's what they want. So if you knew what the needle looked like, it would be pretty easy to find it in strange reports. But they don't. So they're trying to really just sift out all of the hay so they can be left with that one or more interesting needle to talk about. And they did promise at the, in this report, if they did find evidence, they would say they wouldn't keep it a secret. So I guess we just have to believe that. Hello. I'm Dr Lucinda King, Space Projects Manager from the University of Portsmouth's Faculty of Technology. This episode of Life Solved offers a glimpse into our diverse portfolio of research, which is united by the question, how do we make tech, engineering and science more relevant to global well-being? Our pursuit of answers ranges from health informatics and computational intelligence to new energy sources and the nature of space-time. If this podcast has you feeling inspired, You can find out how to support our research, collaborate or study with us at www.port.ac.uk
0: Whilst NASA was methodically investigating the many UAP reports on their list in 2023, a Mexican journalist was taking a slightly different approach.
1: A journalist went to the Mexican government and presented to them what he claimed were two alien bodies. And just to be clear, this isn't Mexico saying they have aliens. This was like one journalist saying it to them. And he showed off two sort of small, humanoid-ish, mummy-looking bodies and claimed they were recovered from Peru and they were sort of thousand-year-old aliens that he's recovered. But that's kind of all the evidence we have is him saying that... He said they have a certain percent of unknown DNA, so they can't be human, so they must be aliens. And I think that's a really easy thing to test. If that's true, they should release samples of that DNA to other countries and other universities and let them test it. And it'll be super easy to confirm or deny this. The fact that they haven't done that, to me, is a big red flag for how can this be real? And this journalist has a history of saying he has aliens. And then when the DNA was tested, it was like, oh, no, these are just mummified children. A bad history doesn't mean he's lying now, but it it suddenly doesn't help me believe him on the initial story.
0: Perhaps it says something about us humans that we're so desperate to find evidence that we're not alone in the universe. But whether it's NASA-led research or slightly more questionable findings, our search for extraterrestrial beings so far in this episode have been earthbound. So let's take to the skies with the JWST telescope.
1: Telescopes like JWST are really looking for signs that life could be out there further afield, like on another planet in in another galaxy. Well, probably on another planet, not in another galaxy. I don't think we have the, the capability to see that yet. But what we're really looking for is clues that there are planets similar to our own. Distant planets are quite big, but they're really far away. So it's really hard to look at them in enough detail to see like little cars driving around or little buildings. So what we're really looking for in the first instance is similar sized planets at the right distance away from a star that liquid water could exist on their surface. So that's called the Goldilocks zone in the distance from the star. And that's just because all life on Earth that we know of needs water to survive in liquid form. So life could be completely different on other planets but we would have no idea how to start looking for it basically. So we're looking for something similar-ish in that sense. So we're looking for similar sized rocky planets where liquid water can be on the surface. And then beyond that, we're using telescopes like JWST to look for things called biosignatures. So these are clues on the planet that life is present there. So an obvious biosignature would be like a leaf, but that's too small for us to see with these telescopes. So we're looking for more subtle things like certain chemicals in the atmosphere that, as far as we know, are only produced or only present in large numbers by life. So like the Earth's atmosphere is a reasonably high percentage oxygen, and that is mostly because there's so many life forms breathing out oxygen. Whereas oxygen tends to react with other chemicals and either bond or break down other chemicals, so it doesn't tend to be in such high percentages in other atmospheres unless there's life continually breathing it out. Mostly we're looking for these chemical signatures in the atmospheres to say, is it likely that this is being produced by life, and looking for these specific biosignatures in the atmospheres.
0: That sounds like hard work.
1: It involves a lot of really hard disentangling of like the light coming from the planet, from the light coming from the star that it's orbiting, and then it's travelling a long, long way to reach us. And then we've got to break down that light and work out what it's telling us about that planet. And that's what we're really looking for, is these biosignatures. So it's not someone we'll be able to talk to in any reasonable time, but it's just a clue that we aren't alone is really what we're looking for
0: there's a real chance that any alien life forms who discover our planet today are viewing evidence from the time of the dinosaurs rather than the 21st century humans. So let's have that late-night conversation that most of us have had, but this time with someone who knows what they're actually talking about. Is there life out there?
1: From a personal point of view, I think it's almost inevitable that there is life somewhere out there. Going back to the UAPs, I think it's vanishingly unlikely that they've come to earth and are doing so is little balls flying around near planes but i think the universe is so big and i don't think we're as special as we maybe think we are i think we got lucky where we are or really we evolved where we could maybe luck isn't the right word but i think it's almost inevitable that these conditions will have arisen in other planets maybe in other galaxies billions of light years away and we'll never know about them but i think It's very egotistical to think that we're the only ones. I think they might not look like us, but there must be someone out there, in my opinion. I just don't think they're visiting us right now or have ever done, to be honest with you.
0: And even if we did find E.T., would we be able to communicate with them?
1: the Voyager spacecrafts have these golden records of like the things we considered essential and included like a picture of a man and a woman. You know, it's really hard to try and talk to aliens because they don't speak English or any other language on Earth. So we have to sort of encode these things with pictures and binary ideas and things about light. And that's how we've encoded it on these disks. We want there to be other things out there, but uh, it's just hard to see, especially things that we would talk to. Maybe there's like microbes on a moon of Jupiter or something, but they're not going to give much back if even we, if we detect them. <laughs>
0: And in today's world, we're constantly sending out messages into space. Although quite how the aliens will react to Justin Bieber is a mystery at this stage.
1: We're kind of always broadcasting to space in so much as like radio signals and you know, radio carries a lot of other things now, including like telephone and TV and stuff, can be transmitted on radio. And that's not just stopping when it reaches TVs. It's being blasted all the time into space. So ever since we invented anything that is talking like via radio or anything like that, it's all been going out into space and if someone had the right detector or receiver they could decode that in theory and get some of that information back so it's all out there and we have specifically been sending like radio signals with these same sort of ideas like not rather than printing them on a gold disc and sending them out that's pretty hard to do we do regularly send out radio signals with this encoded information as well just sort of shouting into the abyss hoping that someone shouts back if they did shout back i mean that would be awful i mean it would be so exciting and you'd want it to be friendly rather than like hey, you, lo- you guys look real tasty. Like, that's not going to be a good message to receive back.
0: Whether we're alone in the universe or whether it's teeming with life, it can be comforting and terrifying in equal measure. But NASA's evidence-based approach and the likes of the Voyager spacecraft and JWST telescope means that any discoveries that are made will be rooted in real evidence. You can keep up to date with Chris's findings on his YouTube channel, Just search for Chris Patterson Cosmo or check out the link in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Solved. You're very welcome to be part of the discussion. Email us at lifesolved at port.ac.uk. That's lifesolved, one word, at port.ac.uk. Tell us what you think and make suggestions for future episodes of Life Solved. And we'd love if you clicked follow on your podcast app so you can never miss an edition. We'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review as well. It helps us get these conversations into more ears around the globe. If you've been inspired by this episode and want to support our work, like Chris's projects in the university's Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation, then head to port.ac.uk forward slash Lifesolve to find out how. You can also find out how to work or study with us. Next time, we head back to Earth and investigate the concerning story of how incels are no longer hidden deep within the World Wide Web, but increasingly using mainstream social media. Where society seems to be progressive on the surface is that underground, this resentment is continuing to simmer away. And where you then have technology and the internet and all the affordances that come with being online, like the, the reach and the engagement and being able to interact with people who ordinarily couldn't and you get the audience and you get to disseminate your ideas in new and what seems like novel ways, that is the perfect storm. Bye for now.